Welcome to Business and Money Mentors. Together, Mia, your business mentor, and Bonnie, Miss Money Boss, guide you on the need to knows to grow and manage your business successfully. Hello, and welcome to Business and Money Mentors. This is Mia, and as always, my co-host, our we love the show, Bonnie Gale. Hey, Bonnie, how are you today? I'm good. How are you, Mia? I'm good. This is so fun because, as you know, and we'll share with the audience, that we have a very special guest today. And I'm going to uh, start to bring him in, but I want to just share with the audience, and I want them to hang around and listen because... There, this is really a very powerful show for all entrepreneurs because we tend to get a little bit crazy with our work life. And you also have a story that you're going to share that I'm going to ask you about. So here we go. Let's start with our wonderful guest, Guy Golan, who's a relationship coach for higher achievers and workaholics. Welcome, Guy. How are you? All right. Thanks for having me today. We're excited to have you on the show. You are our go-to man for this specific topic. That's wonderful. (laughs) So you have a specialized niche, and I know that you have a great story to go with it, and we want the audience to get to know you. Would you like to share that with us? So absolutely, and again, thanks for having me today. I'm a life and relationship coach, and I have a very, very unique niche, and that is I work with spouses of high achievers. So the partners, the spouses of high achievers, typically people who are in the fields of medicine, tech, law, and finance. So anybody who's married to their job, I I work with their spouse. Very cool. Very cool. (laughs) Wonderful. You might have to work with one of my spouses one day, Guy. (laughs) 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 So, how how did you get in? Share with us your story, if you don't mind, because the story is always so powerful about the Mm -hmm. message that we have to give the world. Absolutely. Um, I'm a full-time university professor. I've been a university professor for almost two decades now. And um, many years ago, I married a young medical doctor. And we were living in New York City. And uh, I was going through her entire training, right, from early med school to, you know, subspecializations. And living in New York City, all of our friends were either doctors or people in finance. And what I witnessed over and over and over is that this obsession of the high achiever to be super successful leaves a lot of damage with those who accompany them. So the people who put their own lives on hold in a sense, to help their partner achieve their goals and their dreams, right, those folks are often left behind. So what I saw in New York is that a lot of people who were in the fields of finance and medicine uh, were breaking up. So either relationships, boyfriend, girlfriend, or early marriages that could not survive the tension between um, the marriage and the work. So that's how I got into it. That's incredible. And, you know, as you're sharing that, it's really obvious when we think back on all the stories that we've heard, specifically, like you said, about doctors and lawyers 
and how one spouse supports the other and they're left behind. So that's very interesting and that's very admirable that you saw this type of um, occurrence happening and stepped in to help change it. So it may and may not be related to this specific workaholic stuff, but it is interesting. What what professor type of professor are you? I'm actually a professor of media, and I've been doing the research for two decades. And I look at media effects and how the media impacts people's uh, perceptions of the world. So I think mm-hmm. it is, in a way, it provided me with a very unique insight into this field because, again, our reality is constructed through a social paradigm. So right, I have exactly. a question for you guys. Like, um. Would being in a relationship with a high achiever workaholic, like you guys are talking about like doctors and attorneys and stuff like that. What about like people that are sub- celebrities that, you know, basically their work life actually comes into their personal life and could end up even, you know, really affecting a partner of somebody. Like let's say one person's famous and the other one's not. I can imagine that that would also have like some very similar effects on the spouse of the person who's the celebrity or the high achiever because they oh, could Bonnie, be you're... workaholics too, right? Absolutely. You're spot on. And and the key thing here, and this is why you're so right, is that what is in common for the super high achievers is that their identity is mm-hmm. defined by their work, Right. So mm-hmm. as soon as you become a famous uh, movie star, as soon as you become a famous CEO, as soon as you become a famous anything, at that point you cease to be the person you were before in, in terms of, of everybody around you, and you become that person who's affiliated with the position, with the job, right? Mm-hmm. So think about somebody who was a college football player, and, you know, there are regular college students, but then they're drafted into the NFL. Suddenly, everybody who knows them knows them in the context of their professional career. And right. that will impact not only themselves, but also their spouses or their partners. Definitely, definitely. So what are some of the traits of the person that's actually a high achiever or what you would call a workaholic? What kind of traits does that type of person have? Well, um, the high achiever is defined by their work. Their barometer of success or failure mm-hmm. tends to be work. So, for example, for that person, if they are a wonderful parent, if they are a wonderful partner, if they are a wonderful member of the community, but they're stuck in a middle management job and can't break through, they will typically view themselves as failures, right? The, the mm-hmm. one parameter, the one ruler they use to measure their success or failure in life is work. And, and this is really what, what really differentiates them from everybody else. What about the personality though? Like, don't you feel that there's also like a personality type that usually goes with the high achiever? Like, I would think that somebody that's an A type personality, as an example, would tend to be a high achiever or a workaholic a lot more than somebody who's not. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we have the whole nature and nurture thing going on here. I mean, on one hand, some people, you know, you can have uh, twin boys or twin girls, and 
you know, growing up in the same exact house, one of them is going to be a super high achiever and the other one is not. But there are also a lot of um, contextual variables that may shape the outcome. So the society we live in, right? Western right. society, and especially in some places, we place a lot of emphasis on success at work, right? So I'll give you an example. When we meet somebody at a dinner party, right? You guys are in uh, Los Angeles, correct? Right, correct. So uh, the, the, the first question is, what is your name? And the second question oftentimes is, what do you do? And we have all been to the, we've all been to those dinner parties, right? In, whether it's in New York in the fields of finance, in the fields of, um, entertainment in California, or perhaps in Washington DC where it's all about politics, where if you answer in a certain way, somebody may say, well, nice to meet you and move on, right? So your entire worth in the, in the eyes of, of many people is going to be determined by your job title, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's an example of a, of a contextual uh, variable, right, that the community you grow up in, where you live, where there's going to be a lot more emphasis on work more than other places, right? Right. Like as an example, if you move to a retirement community, most likely, you know, your focus is not going to be, you know, they're not going to be asking you what you do for a living because they probably assume you've retired. But if you, well, I mean, here's the thing. You have to make a good amount of money to have a certain level of a lifestyle, right? So somebody in the relationship is going to have to make that money or both people or somebody's going to have to inherit it. So I would assume, and I could be incorrect, that if you go to higher-end areas, all over the country that you're going to have a lot of relationships where you have a workaholic or a high achiever as one of the partners. Is that correct? Absolutely. I mean, they tend to gravitate towards one another because they understand each other, they inspire each other, and they view each other as assets that can help them promote. Now, you're saying something very interesting about income, right? I often Mm -hmm. joke with my wife that if we were to win the lottery, I would divorce her. And why would I divorce her? She's the most wonderful woman on earth. Is because if I won the lottery, my wife would still keep on working as a medical doctor, right? So the motivation for the high achiever is not money by itself. It's actually the success, right? Mm-hmm. The money mm-hmm. is the prize of achievement. It's the prize of success. But it's not the actual goal of their ambition, right? So the high achiever wants to succeed for the sake of success. Not only for the money. Right. So I think that there's a personal aspect involved, you know, that we're talking about now is like a personal sense of self-worth and connected to what it is that you do in the world. You know what I mean? Like what you are known for. Right. Wouldn't you agree, Mia, too, with that? Yeah, I, I also see the workaholic is the way that uh, Guy has shared it is somebody who, I mean, and, and it doesn't necessarily have to do with money, as he was saying, but somebody who is directly connected to their passion so strongly that it moves their world. And that, that's the important thing, because if we don't have, which is another aspect you want to talk about, if we don't have a partner that can support that passion and not lose themselves, then it's going to happen what Guy saw in his early stages and why he does this work is there's a lot of divorce and disconnect from each other. So 
we want to also find out from you what, right, Bonnie, what the high achievers mate, what are those traits typically like? I know they can be very different, but there are successful women with men who support them and vice versa. Right. So what's right. the trait of the person who's not the high achiever workaholic in that relationship if, let's say, that you have a relationship like that? Yeah. It's an excellent question. And as you said, there is not one single archetype, right? But what we do know is that there are several traits that are common. One of okay. them is okay. the person, uh, oftentimes uh, people who marry work, uh, workaholics or high achievers, uh, are children of narcissists, mm-hmm. right? So they grew up in a house where one of the parents was uh, a narcissist, not always, but sometimes, and th- they were taught from day one that their voice is secondary to that of the narcissist parent, right? That's one yeah. type that we see often. The other type is actually, uh, I like to call this the Jesus syndrome, and that is... Now, the people who want to save somebody, right? So uh, you meet somebody, maybe a, a medical student or a law student who's really struggling, right? He's trying to get through this very difficult path, and you're like, you know what? I'm going to help you get there. I'm going to coach you through it. I'm going to support you at all times. And at that point, the dynamic continues, right, from the start of the relationship all the way till the end. So that supporting spouse views him or herself as a sort of a, almost like a coach or a mentor to their spouse. So that's the other type of uh, spouse archetype that I've encountered oftentimes. The third one is somebody who just had no idea what they're getting into, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they met somebody who is a high achiever, who is always very charming, very attractive, you know, very powerful, very ambitious. Those are wonderful traits that many people are attracted to, and they, they didn't understand what comes with the job, right? So a lot of people, you know, the, the typical Jewish mother wants her son or daughter to marry a doctor or a lawyer, right, or somebody mm-hmm. in finance, and, and that is a wonderful thing, but those jobs and the highly successful ones, right, will require a lot of sacrifice from the spouse, and nobody tells you about it when you get into mm-hmm. the relationship early on, Right. A lot of people think it's going to happen. It's going to take time for the first couple of years, but eventually they realize it's always going to be the same way. That's because they built their relationship around that, exactly. Yeah. Right. Well, and what, but when they were in the dating phase of that relationship, like let's say they're not married yet, right? And they're in the dating phase. Don't you tend to typically see what it's going to be like during that time? Or is this something that people think, oh, well, when I get married, this is going to change? Bonnie, exactly what you were saying is very interesting because um, we we all deal with this, and I would say the answer is yes. Um, let's, let's go over some of this stuff. Uh, where would you like to take this, Bonnie? First of all, I think that we need to talk about some of the traits of the high achiever, like, mm-hmm. like, yes, I agree that that person is defined by the work that they do in their own mind. I definitely agree with that. Yes. But I also feel like that doesn't have to be a negative thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, I will tell you from, I've been a high achiever workaholic my whole life. There's no question yes. about it. 
even when I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up, which has been mm-hmm. most of my life. And one of the things that I would say also about the high achiever or the workaholic is that is a determined person. That person is going to, like, trudge through. They're going to do whatever it takes because their career means something to them. You know, and if it, whether it's a sense of self-worth or something that they identify with, I think it's important that that doesn't necessarily have to be considered a bad thing. You know, everybody has different things that they, you know, identify with. When we were little girls, Mia, what we Mm -hmm. identified with was beauty because people would tell us that we were pretty or we were beautiful, you know what I mean, like, or we were cute. And so we identified with different things when we were younger. And, you know, because people are learning that they want to be passionate about what they do and they really want to love it, when you love it and you're infused into what you do, it's not a hardship to be doing it on a regular basis and incorporating right. it into your life all the time. So really, and, what, I, and I want to and I want to ask about your story, but really it's about finding the balance, isn't it? Yeah. So I think that, you know, like to me, if somebody's in a relationship with a high achiever or a workaholic, long before they end up, you know, on the path of marriage, they will see what the relationship is like, you know, based on being with that person. It's like, look, the truth is just because you get married, none of that's is gonna none of that's really gonna change. If somebody's a workaholic or a high achiever, they're not gonna all of a sudden decide to retire. Like that's the truth. That's right. They're not. Or so you kind of know down. what you're getting into, you know, when you're going along with it. That doesn't mean that there shouldn't be any, um, you know, balance, like things that you do above and beyond to try and help balance the circumstances at times. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't mean okay. that you just ignore your partner. But I think mm-hmm. that it's important that people don't feel shamed because they're a high achiever or a workaholic. It's not a shameful thing. Right. And, you know, it was interesting because Guy brought up, uh, you know, that oftentimes it's a child of a narcissist who is trained in order to support the other one. But that's not always the case because, but I mean, it is to a degree. I have those qualities in me because my mother was a narcissist and, and as you have seen from me, from our relationship and friendship and sisterhood, that, you know, I like to service others and give to others, on the, maybe on a, a basis where I have, have had to pull back. But I'm a, quite a high achiever in the industry that I, I'm in, and I think that that's just because I'm so passionate about the love. Do you want to talk, I want to ask you about your story, but also, would you share with us a little bit about these differences that you see? Because you been seeing this. I mean, I've been in the, the finance world, too, and I've been in the industry of, you know, what we call it the industry here, you know, the movie industry and things like that. So we see a lot. But share with us what you think, Bonnie, the difference between passion, narcissism, what brings people out, you know, to support so someone else. I will dream. honestly say that I did not grow up with workaholic parents or narcissistic parents. Um and and all three of us, okay, so all three kids in my family became workaholics and and basically were completely dedicated 
to the work that we did, and all of us definitely have identified and it, do identify with our careers. So I don't necessarily think that you always need to be raised by a narcissist or anything. I think that that there are types of personalities. And, like, if you tend to have an A-type personality, which is a more intensive personality, you know, it's not considered to be the relaxed personality. When, you, mm-hmm. when you're talking about an A-type person, you're usually talking about somebody who, like, is an overachiever. You know, they're very focused. Um, they can be very strong. They can actually be cutting, you know, the t- type of person that they are. Like they can just cut people off at the knees, um, right. but they can be very determined. They're great people to have working for you because they're going to do whatever it takes to get the job done. So right. I think that, you know, we all develop our self-esteem differently. And in most cases, men in most cases, this is not all the time, because now this is starting to happen to women more, but in most cases, men were expected in the past to be the breadwinners. So because of that, it's almost like they had to step up to the plate to do whatever it took to be able to become the breadwinner. And some people were successful at that, and other people were not so successful, because that wasn't really the nature of their personality, right? Right. And the same thing, so, you know, so I think that it has to do with a combination of things. Yes, Mm -hmm. I definitely think that your parental upbringing has something to do with it, but I also think that your personality type definitely has even more to do with it. Mm -hmm. And if you're a determined person, like, you might come from nothing and end up becoming somebody huge because of your drive, because you have the drive to do that. And the thing is, is when somebody's in a relationship with somebody that is determined like that, they either need to learn to understand them and support them to come along for the ride or the relationship's not going to work. Because that person that feels that sense of determination is not going to change. I will tell you that I cannot tell you how many relationships that I've been in that ended because I, w- I was considered the workaholic high achiever. Welcome back, guys. Uh, so I was talking to Bonnie and asking her, and so now we're going to ask you, what are some of the challenges a high achiever would face being in a relationship with a, non, you know, with a non-high achiever workaholic person, personality? Yep. Well, great question. Um, there are many, um, many challenges from the side of the, I don't want to call the supporting spouse the non-high achiever, right? Because, you know, oftentimes uh, the spouse gave up a big career for the success yes. of, of their partner, right? And yes. that's, that's something I encounter over and over and over. People who had great jobs and just needed to kind of back down and support their spouse so they can succeed even more. Uh, so some of the challenges, or the, the number one challenge is resources, right? Time. So uh, when you marry a super successful person, you're going to have the resources of money and prestige, but what you may be short on is attention because you're mm-hmm. essentially almost in second place to the workplace. Not because your spouse doesn't love you or doesn't want to give you that attention, 
But oftentimes, their careers are so demanding that they have no option, right? So uh, both the super achiever and their spouse have an issue with um, allocation of resources in, in terms of time to the relationship. Another challenge is uh, feeling appreciated, right? Because uh, you have an asymmetrical relationship with the lack of balance where one of the partners gets all of the external validation and you almost get none of it, right? And, you know, most people, when they see somebody super successful, they attribute the success only to that person. They don't really say, hey, you know, uh, their husband or their wife, you know, was picking up the slack while they were at work, right? So it, it really is a team, a team play, but only one side gets the attention. And the third and, and most common and perhaps the most difficult one is loss of identity. So when you are the so-called supporting spouse, eventually you become Mr. or Mrs. partner instead of being you. You made so right. many sacrifices, not only to your career, but to many other facets of your identity that you may find yourself five or ten years into the relationship kind of scratching your head and saying, wait a second, who am I? What do I need? What about me? And one of the key challenges to people who are getting divorced from the high achiever is to redefine themselves and, and really find out their new path. So those are some of the main ones. So right. is it possible for somebody who is, you know, for the partner who's the non-high achiever to also um, have things that they do that takes up their time so that they feel fulfilled in whatever it is that they want to do also so that there's not such an imbalance going on with this? Absolutely, right? So this is exactly what I work with with my clients, and that is how do you make it work? Because, I mean, the one thing you cannot tell the high achiever is, hey, don't work so hard. Hey, don't care so much. (laughs) You know, this is who they are, right? Yes. What I work with with clients is moving away from the sense of victimhood, right? So what you often hear is because of his job, I had to give up on this. Because of her job, I couldn't do this, right? So we're moving away from from being a victim of circumstance towards being empowered within the relationship, understanding the constraints, right? So if you if you have two young children at home and your husband or your wife is a big tech or finance executive, you may not be able to start your own consultancy firm and fly around the world, right? Somebody's got to be mm-hmm. home with the kids to raise them, right? Mm-hmm. So you may be, uh, you know, may, you may have to be more localized. You can still do the consulting gig, but in a more local manner. There are going to be prices to pay, but, you know, if you think of the relationship, and I think it's a great metaphor, as a golden cage of sorts, Right. Because you have you have to give up some of your freedoms, some of your choices. You have to make compromise. Well, within that golden cage, you can still build your own world, right? It's not ideal. It's not something that sounds right. I mean, there is going to be a lack of balance. But, you know, it, it's really how we look at it. And do we choose to be a victim or to feel empowered? Right. Well, also... You could hire somebody. I mean, technically, you could hire somebody to help out in the house, to help take care of the child, so that if you needed to travel, you could do that, too. I mean, there are workarounds. I came from a family where both of my parents work, 
And, mm-hmm. you know, I came from like a middle class family. Both my parents worked. Both of them had careers. My mother was a professor, and my father had a big job in uh, the aerospace industry. And my father worked a lot of hours. My mom worked less hours, but, you know, even she was even, um, you know, after she had me, my mom went back to work two months later because, you know, in her case, she knew that she didn't want to be a full-time mother all the time. Like she wanted, she needed to have her career to help her balance herself out. So we had a nanny that lived in the house um, that took care of us like during the day when we were not in school and, you know, until my mom got home. And so there are ways that I believe that the person who's not necessarily a high achiever, but let's say they want to have a career of some sort, how there could be a way for people to work things out if they got help that was needed so that both people could feel like their needs were getting met. Absolutely right. You're absolutely right. You know, and and different couples um, at different stages of the children will do different things, right? So right. some people prefer to be home when the children are very young. Some people say, no, it's okay. You know, a nanny will be with them most of the day. People find solutions, right? But the key to everything is how you look at the relationship. How do you look at the marriage? Because here is the thing that most people will never consider. And that is when you drive around Beverly Hills or Orange County or San Francisco, wherever you're going to be, right? And you're going mm-hmm. to see all these fancy, beautiful homes, right? Here in Sarasota, mm-hmm. where I live on the water, people are like, wow, these folks must be so happy. They're so rich and so wealthy. And what they don't realize is that in their in these homes, there are a lot of very, very unhappy people. People mm-hmm. battling depression, people taking, you know, drinking or taking prescription drugs. A lot of unhappiness uh, occurs as a result of the lack of balance in the marriage. I mean, and, you know, we spoke about the spouse, but this also affects the children, right? So here's the thing that people should think about, and that is the high achiever puts the work ahead of everything else. That right. will have a price, and that will put tension on the relationship, which in turn will put pressure or tension on the children, which in turn the high achiever will have an unhappy sometimes wife or husband and unhappy children. So he or her themselves are going to suffer, right, from the inability to balance between work and family. So what Absolutely. can we do, what can you do to bring a relationship more into balance when you have somebody who's a workaholic and then the other person who's not? Mm-hmm. It's a great question. Um, well, the, the one thing that most people will be surprised to know, to figure out, is that these super successful people, super successful High achievers, while they're excellent at their work, they are pretty lousy when it comes to interpersonal communication. And, you know, uh, because they, they were raised to think that money and success are the solutions to everything, right? And uh, so what you can do is, A, empower the supporting spouse, right? To not feel mm-hmm. like a victim. The second thing is to teach them cultivate uh, effective communication, right? Mm -hmm. So the supporting spouse should not only support the spouse, but also teach them, empower them to make the relationship work. Provide them with tools. Provide them 
with the ways to succeed in the relationship. Again, these super successful people are very powerful, and everybody admires them from the outside, but oftentimes they're absolutely clueless into how to manage the home, right, with the children and their spouse. That's true. I mean, I'm going to, I mean, I will say from personal experience, I definitely would qualify as a high achiever and a workaholic. I have been my whole life. Um, my, I definitely identify with my career being, you know, one of the most important things to me. And, and I was like this as a kid, you know, like I remember at the age of nine, I was talking to my mom and she was talking to me about having kids. And I told her that I knew that I didn't want to have kids. And she's like, you're nine years old. What do you know? You haven't even gone through your hormones yet. I said, I'm telling you, I want to have a career. I don't want to have kids. Like I knew that like in my life, my career was going to be my number one thing. And I will tell you that, you know, in historically, I have been in relationships with super high achievers and, I've been in relationships with people that were not high achievers, you know, and that for me, it has been a lot easier to be in a relationship with a high achiever because I feel like much more understood by that person. And it's almost like I know that, you know, this person's going to get it when I say, you know what, this is what I have to do right now. Like, I don't really have a choice, but right now this is what I have to do for my career, whatever that thing is. I also was very realistic in knowing that I didn't want to have children because, look, and I will tell you that I've been engaged seven times, and six of those seven times I broke off the relationship because the person changed, thought that I would change my mind about wanting to have kids and be a stay-at-home mom. So literally I, I broke off six engagements because of that, because of what we're talking about right now. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just, so I find it like, this is why, like, I love this topic and I love talking about this because, you know, I have seen evidence of what it's like being in a relationship both with a workaholic and not. For me, it just happens to be easier to be in a relationship with somebody who is a high achiever, more on the workaholic side of things because I feel like they get me more. Um, Absolutely. And Bonnie, it's really about expectations, right? So when you enter mm-hmm. the relationship, people come with their own set of expectations, oftentimes based on what they saw in their own home, right? In their own household, with their own parents. Yep. And when, when expectations do not align, that puts a lot of tension on the relationship oftentimes. Right. Well, and I remember when I was a kid... My mom always said to me, so in my, like, historically, my grandmothers worked, both my grandmothers worked, which my grandmothers would be, I mean, my mom would be 80-something right now. So my grandparents would be, like, around 100. Both of my grandparents worked. Even my great-grandmother on one side of the family worked. So I come from a history of women that actually worked, not that not only raised children, but also worked simultaneously. Um, And one of the things that my mom always taught me is you always need to have your own money, like something of your own, like you never know what's going to happen to you. You always need to be able to take care of yourself. And so when somebody is brought up with, you always need to be able to take care of yourself, 
you can, I mean, I think that you can see how that would lead to their career being very important to them because their career is the way that they look at taking care of themselves and their family because that's the most important thing, like you said. And then the other side is interesting just as well, those who are brought up with the notion that they, especially in our era, that we have to um, pick a good husband or, you know, it's not about um, you're responsible for yourself. It's about, you know, the old way of thinking was about, um, you know, find a good match and get married and have kids. So it's crazy that people like us have grown up through to see so many people on both sides of the fence. We all know the, the woman in this particular case, you know, I'm thinking of several who have said, you know, I, I didn't do my work, you know, I didn't do my career and I supported my husband and I sat on a chair and typed all day long and I did this and I did that. And now we're getting a divorce because he doesn't need me anymore. So it's, it's very interesting. The dynamic, you know, on both sides of both male and female, because there are amazing men out there, as we can attest with Guy here, that support, you know, female partners in their line of work. It's just harder to find, I think. So, Guy, I have a question for you, actually, and that is, um, you know, in supporting somebody who is a high achiever, like, do you really feel that, like the that like what you said about like let's say you won the lottery that you w- that it would actually cause a situation because if you're in a relationship with a high achiever if you had all the money that you ever needed the idea is that you really that both of you don't need to work you know and that you should be putting time toward the relationship. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a metaphorical joke, right? But it, it's about the resources of time versus money, right? So mm-hmm. um, I, I think it's also about life philosophy, and that is those who are not high achievers often view uh, life is about more than just success, right? Life is about, and anybody who's into the field of positive psychology, right? So if you read uh, books by, let's say, Tal Ben-Shahar from Harvard, right? people like that, um, what we know from the science of happiness is that what actually makes you happy in life is having meaningful and deep and genuine interpersonal human relationships, right? Mm-hmm. Along with creating something, doing something that is meaningful, right? So for the high achiever, um, life is defined or happiness is defined by success and work. And for other people, they're like, you know, I don't buy into this formula. Because obviously there are tons of people who are very successful. And, you know, unfortunately we see this with Tony Bourdain and Robin Williams. There's so many other cases where happiness, I mean, material and success and being famous actually does not solve your existential problems, right? I mean, what makes you happy in life is family and friends and community and, and giving to the community those kind of things. So again, it's uh, it the joke I made about you know winning the lottery was to highlight the difference in values, right? Right. The difference mm-hmm. in expectations about what is really important. Now. Yeah, it's interesting. I actually had somebody ask me recently, like, 
if they could pay me not to work, like if I was in a relationship with them. And you know what my answer was? Yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what my answer was, guys? The answer was no. No, you cannot pay me not to work. Like, because my work actually gives me something that I need. And, you know, and I love it because of that. And so I thought that that was super interesting because it's it's almost like the, you know, winning the lottery. It's like if you, like, literally know that no matter what, you don't need to work because you're going to be earning income if that's, you know, what the motivation is. Um mm-hmm then you would think that somebody would just stop. But, you know, money, like you said, money is not my only motivation. It is part of my motivation, definitely. Like, I love money. I love having the ability to spend it and earn it. Um, I think that money is a good thing. You know, some people look at it as evil and dirty. I don't, (laughs) you know. I think that money allows you to have a certain, achieve a certain lifestyle or live a certain type of lifestyle, whatever that thing is for you, you know, because, you know, if you're somebody who, you know, likes to take travel all the time, then it allows you to be able to have money to do that. But, you know, everybody has different priorities in their life. Even raising kids, you know, that's also something that takes a lot of money. And so if you're going to be in a relationship with somebody and you want to have kids and you want to be the person staying at home and taking care of them, then the other person who's working is either going to have to have money or you're going to have to have money. Somebody's going to have to have money or somebody's going to have to be the one earning it. So I think that there are like a lot of negotiations going into a relationship that need to be discussed before you even get to the point of, you know, yes, we're getting married, you know, because you need to figure out who you're going to be in that relationship and if that, and if that is going to be fulfilling for you. Buddy, that is an excellent point, and I wish people actually did that, but they actually do not, right? So when, if people were actually going to, early on in the relationship, have a deep conversation about values and expectations and priorities, and that would be one thing, but most people still fall in love, you know, and, and get married because of love and passion and romance. And they kind of figure that everything is going to work itself out along the way. And what we actually know is that it does not oftentimes, right? And this is why right. people hire coaches like me to help them clean up the mess. And the mess really could have been avoided if they had this kind of mediation early right. on in the relationship. Exactly. Okay, so what are some of the things that should that would be ideal things to be talked about if you're going, you know, let's say you're going into a relationship, okay? And and most likely one person is probably a high achiever workaholic and the other one may or may not be. What are the things that we should discuss before it gets too late? You know what I mean? Like what are the topics? What are the negotiations? I, I, you know, whether a high achiever or not, you know, anybody going into marriage, <laughs> regardless of anything, right, is going to have the same issues, right? I mean, marriage, uh, there are a lot of expectations, and there are a lot of uh, expectations of the person will eventually change. The things we don't like before the marriage will somehow 
check himself after the marriage, right? And the, what I always say about marriage is that just like what we know from in international relations, right, that two democracies will never go to war with one another, what I always tell clients is two super self-aware, right, people will typically not get divorced. So self-awareness is almost a priority, right, before going into a relationship. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, you know, most young people, you know, have yet to uh, find their uh, self-awareness. It's something that comes with maturity and age and experience and failure, you know what I mean? And, and this So is it's kind I of like knowing that. who you are as a person? Is that what we're talking about right now? Like Absolutely. understanding knowing and knowing who you, who you are, right? Exactly. And I always recommend to everybody to read Getting the Love You Want by Herval Hendricks which is mm. probably one of the more interesting books. It's got a very cheesy title. It's a wonderful book, a wonderful resource for people who are either in an early stage of a relationship before they get married or are in a relationship that is not doing well, right? To fully yeah. understand why, why there is such tension in the relationship. So that book really provides a very insightful um, examination of the factors that yield to tension and divorce in marriage. It's, it's interesting because, you know, I'm sitting here listening to you guys, and my other line of work is also love relationships. And it's interesting when someone gives up their core of who they are, I believe that that's when disaster can happen down the road if they don't catch it. We give up ourselves to better someone else, and then one day... We look and say, who are you? You know, mm-hmm. who are you? So it's about never giving up on who you are and blending the love and the relationship and both careers or both both um, interests moving forward. I'd also Absolutely. like to say that I, th- I think that people need to um, look at their future spouse's um, work, you know, who are they in work? Who are they with their friends? Who are they out in the world? These are things that we need to understand because that brings us back to our core center, doesn't it, Guy? It really does. But, yeah, you raise a wonderful point, right? But the problem is that, you know, when you meet the super high achievers, they're so attractive. They are, you know, when they enter the room, <laughs> they get the best table at the restaurant and everybody mm-hmm, wants, mm-hmm. you know, to talk about them and they're written about in the paper. They are so attractive, right? They're charming, they're powerful, they're ambitious, mm-hmm. they're wonderful. So, you, you know, in the early stages, you just, most people never get a sense of where they're going to self into. They just have no idea of what's waiting for them around the corner because they see the glitter and gold of it, but they don't see the flip side, which, which well, is also- lack, of, lack of time, you know, and, right. and focus on one thing. So that's, that's the younger generation. As we get older, we get a little bit wiser, at least we hope we do, right, as to mm-hmm. being aware of what we want in relationships. But I guess everybody starts out at the same path, correct? <laughs> meaning, meaning some people don't grow who they are as they go in and out of relationships to spot certain things, or they need that experience in order to um, be able to tell and make better decisions for themselves. That is absolutely the case. Yeah. It's interesting so what, because I... Go ahead, Bonnie. 
No, no, no. I want Guy to finish. I didn't mean to cut him off. Well, no, no. I was, I was waiting for you. I actually, you know, because my wife is a medical doctor and she's at work, I actually have to leave you in five minutes to go and pick up my daughter from school, right? But I do mm-hmm. it in a, with a lot of gratitude that I actually get to be such a big part of my daughter's life. And, you know, this is one of the things why I feel like I'm, I'm uniquely qualified to help people besides my academic background and, and, and training and coaching. And that is I really understand the in and out challenges of being married to an overachiever. And by the way, very happily married, but it was a long, long path over a decade long. What are, congratulations. Can you give us a few tips? <laughs> yes, congratulations. Can you give us a few tips that supported you along the way for um, building who you are to be able to support and have a happy life with an overachiever? Absolutely. First of all, gratitude, right? Being mm-hmm. super Love positive. And, and, you know, it's very easy to focus on what's bad, but there are also a lot of wonderful things that come with any good, right? So. Every partner, it doesn't matter what they do, has their own good and all bad. What are you going to focus on, right? That's the first thing. The second mm-hmm. thing is remembering that as soon as children are involved, it's not a matter of who's right and who's wrong, but rather a question of how can I make it work, right? And the mm-hmm. third thing, gratitude, gratitude for breakfast every morning. You know, you know, life is great. We live in the United States, and, and everything is good. So uh, very appreciative for everything I have. And, you know, being absolutely committed to the relationship itself, making it, make sure it works. Fabulous. Fabulous. Wonderful. And do you find, so let's speak about the children really quickly, not yours specifically, but children in general. Um, are there tips that the um, one partner can support their children in with having a high achiever spouse? Or parent. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Explain to the children not only that daddy or mommy's at work or that mommy can't play with you right now because she's working, but also explain how important that work is, right? Mommy's, mm. you know, not available to be with you right now because she's helping create a new job somewhere for somebody. You know, daddy's not at work right now because he or she, you know, they're at the hospital saving lives. So not only, you know, explain to the children that these you know, parents are not available, but explain why and make it a positive story and something they can relate and not, you know, don't, don't push your anger and your frustration on your children. It's not fair to them. It's not fair to your spouse. Exactly. That's beautiful. So do we have to, are we leaving you now? Or are you leaving us now? And it's okay. I am leaving now. I'm, I'm walking to the school right now, but I really want to thank you for the opportunity to speak with you today. It's wonderful to have you on. Thank great you, Guy. We Bonnie. really appreciate yes. you. Have a great Thank one. You. Bye-bye. Thank you. You too. That was really very informative because we got not just about partnership, but also about children, which is family, which is a foundation of who we naturally are. So that was really very well done. Great show. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, it, you know, it's it's really interesting because, I think that the dynamics of relationships, you know, are always so interesting. You know, um, I don't know. Have you ever been considered a workaholic, Mia? Well, um, yeah, yeah. I've I've had two and three businesses at a time. So, 
It does. So, take did a you lot have of, complaints from your partner? Like, you know, did was it something that like affected your relationship in negative ways? Um, well, when I had young children, um, sometimes my spouse at the time, my partner, would get irritated because things could because I ran the house and I created businesses um, that maybe it wasn't in his thought that it's the greatest or maybe there was some toys left out or, or whatever, but there are ways around all of that organizational skills and things like that. There's ways for, you know, if you guys are looking for a smoother relationship with your spouse who is demanding, or you feel like you want to have this type of harmony, there are things to do. I looked up, uh, I think it was Martha Stewart or Rachel Ray at the time gave tips on how to quickly go through your house to clean it up five minutes before your your spouse comes home. So what does that mean? That means you actually have to know what you're doing, right? And you organize it and you clean it so that it's smooth. It is hard, but then there's other spouses or relationships or partners who have been absolutely supportive, love the message that I spread to the world. And so my work is, you know, they know that, that, that that's, you know, that's the way it is. And unfortunately, because I don't have young children anymore, I do put my work first because there are thousands of people out there wanting to ask questions and how do we shift and change things. So it's well, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, you know, like, I don't like, I don't like think of it as unfortunate, like that your work is first because I feel like you're very passionate about what you do and you love what you do. So it's not a hardship for your work to be infused into your life on a regular basis almost all the time, you know, in one form or another. I mean, look, you're a relationship coach, you're a business coach, you're a spiritual coach, a self-love coach. Like these, you could have almost any type of conversation and one of those things could be applicable to what you do. You know what I mean? Like, so you can almost talk about anything and relate it to what you do. And the odds are that, you know, it would, what you do would come up in the conversation, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's right. It's not a bad thing. And But it, again, I think part of our message here before we sign off is that to be aware of all the avenues of relationship, think outside your own box, think outside your own thinking, because <clears throat> remember, our belief system is formed from our early childhood, so something may not serve us. So just look at something, see how it feels, right? And then yep. move on, take it or, or move on. Well, this was such a wonderful show to have everybody on. And we want to thank Guy Golan for being our special guest today. And thanks, Bonnie. You have a great week and we'll see everybody next week. Yes. Bye.